midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the seventh episode of season six of Called Midwife. This episode was directed by Sid McCartney and was written by Heidi Thomas. We last saw Sid McCartney directing the Christmas special of this season or before this season, which is of course the one where they all go to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Heidi Thomas is the showrunner, but the last episode she was credited as the episode writer was the fourth episode of this season, which is the episode where the mother gives her uh, baby up for adoption to her cousin and then takes it back. Jen, do you want to take us through the recap of this episode? Mature Jenny narrates about expectations and disappointments as we see Phyllis get into her car and Rhoda Mullocks getting help with her stroller to bring Susan to nursery school. Barbara examines Sheila as she's getting close to giving birth. She's excited, but not relaxing. Rhoda brings Susan to the clinic and tells Dr. Turner that she's not getting the opportunities her other children did due to her disability. Phyllis visits Carrie Antoine, who doesn't want to go to the maternity home due to her children being biracial. Later, the midwives discuss how the children have faced bullying. In the Mullock's home, Rhoda discusses artificial limbs with Dr. Turner, but her husband, Bernie, is less supportive. Trixie gets ready for days for her next date with Christopher, but he cancels at the last minute. Sister Winifred continues her driving lessons by asking Val to quiz her, but is hesitant to get behind the wheel. And Phyllis attends Carrie's difficult birth. Sister Winifred is called on to bring extra gas, but she's late since all of the bicycles are out of commission. So... I often like to start with the voiceover. This, I mean, this voiceover is all about uh, expectations and disappointment, and then uh, we kind of are talking about expectations and disappointment in this episode. I actually think there is a much better uh, statement of theme of the episode later on in this episode that I'll mention when we get to it. Mm-hmm. I, I find this particular voiceover, like, fine. Yeah. It's, like, very forgettable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have in this section a brief, if, if I remember correctly, it's the only glimpse of Sheila. She's like, yeah, she's big and pregnant and big and pregnant and doing fine. Yeah. Doing okay. <laughs> she's not, she's as a typical of Dr. Heal thyself. She is not good at being a patient because she wants to be busy even though she should relax. And there's that little bit of like. Has anyone given you this pamphlet? Yes, but I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. Okay, tut tut. And then oh, there are some scenes that she would have been in if we had watched the full-on BBC oh, okay. version. Uh, Timothy has an instrument from I think a bassoon that he's learning how to play, and that's like, that's a whole scene that just gets cut from the version that we watched. Okay, well I didn't see that. Uh, yeah. One. Sometimes I read through the script and so I know all the things that were cut and this time I didn't really, mm-hmm. like I glanced at it, but I didn't look closely. So yeah. there's a subplot that we 
we miss. Yeah, just a little one. Um, do you so want to me? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say probably what you're about to say, which is, do you want to talk about the Mullockses or the Antoines? Well, the Mullockses. It's exciting that they're back. That this is a. Uh, it's not often. In fact, I feel like she's the main one who like she came back. She's. This is her third episode to see. Uh, to see Rhoda. Is it Rhoda or Rhonda? It's Rhoda, Rhoda. right? Yeah, Rhoda. This is yeah the third time we're seeing her. We're keeping up with this thalidomide case, and I really enjoy it. I really uh, like that, unlike so many of the other moms we see on this show where it's like, and then everything was fine, or then everything was not fine. Yeah. We don't get a follow-up. At least we're getting one mom who we really see the follow-up and see that, like, yes, Bernie accepted Susan, but he's still upset and there's still uh hurdles to get over and like the nursery school just won't accept her yeah yeah we don't see i think it has maybe happened once or twice i can't think of an example but it probably has happened once or twice that we've seen someone like the next episode or like a story has i mean the specific one i remember is mary back in season one Mm, yeah um but the mullocks is that like She's a lot older. The baby's a lot older now, and yeah. she still exists in Poplar. Mm-hmm. I really like it quite a lot for making Poplar feel like a lived-in place, and also because her story wasn't done, and the thalidomide uh, story isn't done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in this section that you recapped, we don't see a whole lot of their story yet. It's kind of setting it up. Yeah, that they want her to get some artificial limbs, arms to start with. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bernie is really hesitant and he thinks like, they're doing fine, they're doing fine, but obviously they're not doing fine. There's the only other thing that really struck me in this section with their story is just when like, I'm laughing because like, writing. Um, I took... Susan, and they wouldn't let her in, accept her in the nursery, and Dr. Turner said, because they can't take sick children. And Dr. Turner, did you explain to her that Susan isn't ill? No, doctor, that did not occur to me. Yeah, I know, like, right? Come on. <laughs> that, that line kind of bugged me, too. That, like, oh! That was entirely for the audience's benefit. That's yeah, so not something that Dr. Turner would say, or anyone, any human would say. Yeah, exactly. Like, did you explain that she's not ill? Oh. That's right up there with the, like, but a hospital is for sick people, says <laughs> yeah. Sister Monica Joan. Like, like, come on. But I'm, you know, like, whatever. It's whatever. fine. Uh, otherwise, this is all setting things up. And mm-hmm. I guess the only real thing that happens in this section is that, like, we see that there's artificial limbs are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but more is going to happen next. Yeah. She, um, I don't know if this is the same baby, like, actress baby, uh, but she continues to be the most chill baby <laughs> ever. And frankly, like, this is the same with, like, Angela in in uh, Turner. It's like, I don't know what they do to the kids on this show, but they are always just, like, chilled out. Like, it's totally fine. Having a great time on set and just, like... Yeah. 
Whether they're having a great time or not, they're having a calm they're time. They're having a calm set. time, yeah. I remember like a calm set. <laughs> uh, a behind-the-scenes thing of the uh, show Scrubs, where there is a kid, and the behind-the-scenes is like, they just gave him a jelly bean anytime he was on set, <laughs> on screen, and once you know that, you can see he's always chewing. Always <laughs> chewing, yeah. And I don't know if that's what they do here, they do something. Yep. Even, I noticed Susan Mullock's, the, her cheeks were quite red, which means that that actual baby is probably teething yeah and yet extremely chill and content looking yep (laughs) and flipping adorable (laughs) um so yeah there's more to say about them uh the back two-thirds of the episode are gonna be a lot about them do you want to talk a little bit about the antoines yeah so this is uh a biracial family. He's from Jamaica, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say at the and end of the episode. Yeah, at the end of the episode, they say he's from Jamaica. And is it that, like, I'm surprised that it's that unusual. Since I feel like we've seen this, but maybe we haven't. Maybe it's mostly been... I don't know if we have. We've seen yeah, a lot of people it's... from other places, but it's always couples that are from the same place. Yeah. And that there's, like, uh, she... <laughs> She says, well, I have to have my baby on a weekday between nine in the morning and four o'clock when the kids are at school and Mark is down at the depot. Yeah. You're like, okay, this is your fourth kid and this is, uh, <laughs> you think that this is how it works? Um, but then, like, she's worried about looks and whispers. Mm-hmm. And they never actually, like, in the whole episode, in fact, they never actually say whispers about what yeah it's we're, true. we're expected as the audience to put that together mm-hmm. uh, which is nice because we're a smart audience who can put it together mm-hmm. um there's a moment when they they go back and they're talking about it in nanata's house and there's a bit of phyllis being like well they get names then the kids get names at uh cub scouts that only are being repeated what they've learned at home but i mm-hmm. put a stop to it blah 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 um, which is very, like, uh, all very well and good. And then Delia just has this little throwaway line, right? No one can choose who they fall in love with. Yeah, And then she exactly. kind of looks back down to what she's doing. Yep. And it's the like, t- hmm. oh. Yep. <laughs> good point, Delia. Yeah. The Val knows uh, Carrie's, like, sister, and her sister was crying about yeah. her. her yeah, that's the only time something. that it actually is text yeah that her sister was crying that she fell in love with a black man yeah and delia says no one can choose who they fall in love with Mm -hmm. phyllis has a uh phyllis has a soft spot for the antoines she says she when she goes there the first time the kids come in and they call her Mm akela because they're in cub scouts Uh, are you are you here to born our baby yeah that was cute (laughs) no and then um She's, I think Val was assigned to the Antoines and Phyllis is like, can we swap? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I want to take care of them. And she is so confident and capable and uh, as breezy as we have ever seen her on this show, Phyllis. Mm -hmm. And like, you haven't narrated it yet, but like, we are setting her up for a fall. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, And I didn't... You know, the first time, I'm sure I didn't see this as setting her up, but she is, like, so extremely confident and capable and calm and, Mm -hmm. like, uh, the rug is going to be pulled out from under her. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, let's just briefly mention that Trixie spends so many days getting ready for her date that then gets canceled. She like sets her hair. She has special oh. manicure and face masks and all that stuff. And then he cancels and says best. <laughs> the, when she's okay. Just this little plot, there's a few things about it. When she is making the manicure and they're all like, what is up with that manicure? And Sister Monica Jones says, I surmise the puller of teeth is intended to admire it. (laughs) And like, Sister Monica Jones still has contempt for dentists and I love it. (laughs) And then the other, when they're all in the room and she's trying all her clothes and trying to pick it out and she has absolutely nothing to wear because if there's one person who has an extremely small, limited wardrobe, it's Trixie who has not one thing she can wear on a date. She'll have to buy something new. I have this ice blue thing, but I can't wear it. And uh, Val says, you'll look like you're trying to match his sports car. And she says, his sports car isn't ice blue. It's a sort of a Pale Wedgwood with cream <laughs> accents. And I'm like, like, are are Delia and Val just making fun of Trixie, or are they? <laughs> I can't decide in this scene whether because they're joining in and and uh, like Delia is like, oh, you can't wear that for an evening date or something like that. And I'm like, I feel like when are you Delia on board or making fun. <laughs> In the performance, I feel like the way that Delia says, you can't wear this ice blue dress for an evening uh, date. You'll Mm. look like you're trying too hard. She does not say that with a smirk at all. She's giving like, you'll look like you're trying too hard. You can't do, you have to choose something else. Yeah. But the Val, you'll look like you're trying to match his sports car, I think, is teasing. Yes, And also, I like... Wedgwood is a shade of blue, and pale Wedgwood is maybe different than ice blue. I like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is extremely small hair you are splitting. <laughs> um, but then he cancels his date like a cad oh. or a dad or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other thing about that whole story it, that I, is Barbara reading the card says, but he call, he opens by calling you darling. Men never say darling unless they have quite serious intentions. <laughs> love. She's Barbara. still so cute and innocent, really. Yeah. Um, Sister Winifred has to bring the gas to oh, Carrie. Yes. So Carrie's having a hard time. She runs out of gas, and so Sister Winifred is sent, and... She goes outside and Fred is mending all the bicycles. Which, come on, Fred, all of them at once? That's a little you bit... You know that like, people... This come is on. <laughs> a plot contrivance, so she yeah, can't exactly. have a bicycle. Because, exactly. like, there has to be a bicycle available because it's an emergency situation. Yeah, it's like, exactly. they, they go out for emergencies. Yeah. Um, but she decides to rush. She says, I, I shall quite enjoy a trot on Shank's pony, which <laughs> means running. <laughs> My foot, yeah. <laughs> um... And it's all in the plot of, like, she has been trying to learn to drive and is bad at it. Yeah. And so if she could drive, she would get in a car and drive. Although she doesn't have a car, so. Yeah, there might be a car that she could use. I'm not sure. I don't know. It is going to be, like, we're going to make a deal of it later that she could have mm. got there sooner if she'd just gotten the car. But I, I feel like that is unfair to her because what car? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fred's truck or something? But anyway. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. Yeah. She can't take the bus, the bike or the car. She has to run. And you're about to say, by the time she gets there, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And the labor has been long and painful. And there was no gas and air. And that's all her fault. Exactly. So Carrie gives birth to a fourth boy while her children wait outside. 
Mr. Antoine offers the midwives a drink, but they refuse. As they leave, Phyllis berates Sister Winifred for not practicing her driving enough so she could be there in time. She makes her drive home, but when she stalls halfway, Phyllis takes over. As Phyllis adjusts her mirror, she accidentally strikes a child, Lenny Antoine. Phyllis is shaken up and taken to the police station. She's taken off duty while the accident is investigated. Lenny has a broken femur, and his mother is upset because she's not able to visit him since she's just given birth. Meanwhile, the Mullocks go to the hospital for Susan's limbs, but Bernie struggles to see other children in the same state. Dr. Turner talks to Bernie, who wrestles about how others will see Susan, and Rhoda talks with a fellow thalidomide parent about what they can do. Later, Susan is taking the ho- taken to the hospital to get her new limbs, but must stay for a few weeks. Trixie spots a woman's scarf in Christopher's car and jumps to conclusions. I mean, let's talk about Trixie first, to yeah. get that out of the way. Uh, just that Christopher is cheating, we think. She assumes, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> uh, and it's like, funny because I re- when I... My memory of this episode or this plot line was it went on for more than one episode, but no, it's totally resolved by the end of this episode. Yeah. And they like, the scarf is nice and it has perfume that nobody's maiden aunt would wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Trixie assumes that he's cheating. And I, I mean, I feel like even if we hadn't watched the episode, uh, even if we hadn't watched the show before, like this is uh, classic sitcom nonsense. Of course, mm. he's not cheating on her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let do you want to talk be- again? Do you want to talk about the Mullockses or the Antoine story? Let's talk about the Antoines because it's feeding right off what we were just saying. Sister Winifred yeah. is late, so Carrie has a harder time giving birth. She doesn't get there in time to give her the gas, mm-hmm. and so Phyllis is. Oh, and. Uh, The major plot point here, too, is that Mr. Antoine offers them a drink and they keep saying no. And he's just like, oh, just to sniff it. Like he puts a, we don't actually see him put the drink in their hand, but he clearly puts a drink in their hand and then later on makes the accusation that they drank it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have the question written down here and like... In terms of the direction of the episode and the writing of the episode, uh, we never actually see if she has any sherry at this point. Yes, it's true. Uh, we know sherry is offered. She says no, and he says, I'll, you know, give you the tea with sherry beside it. And they all laugh. And then it cuts away. We don't see her not mm-hmm. drinking it. We don't see her drinking it. And so, like, later, which I think you haven't, wasn't in the part you just recapped, but not later no. when he's going to say that she drank some sherry... We, the audience, don't know if that's true, right? Yeah, exactly. There what do you think about that? Way I of... like that. I think that's a that's well played for, because I don't think it's cheap with the audience. I think like she could have taken a sip. They're they're forbidden, but he is so insistent that maybe she did. And well, it isn't likely that she took even more than a sip that would impair her driving. Mm-hmm. It could result in if it resulted in a you know blood test that said she was or a urine test that said she had alcohol in her system, she would be in very big trouble. Yeah. She would be, you know, convicted or whatever. And she, in terms of like, you know, setting her up for a fall, like I said before, she comes out scolding 
uh, Sister Winifred yeah. for being a bad driver. All a driver needs is some common sense and a cool head, and you have neither. Bang, she hit someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, Oof, it's brutal. And the... Mullet, and to see her... Sorry, sorry but you just, uh, just to see her frozen the way she is that Mm -hmm. they hit him and it's sister winifred is dealing with the situation she's a nurse she's helping him and nurse crane can't do anything she is frozen there she can't even take her cape off like sister winifred comes and takes her cape off for lenny it's like to see her shooken up like that it's very much yeah she's been set up for a fall but us who have watched Phyllis all this time is it's shocking to see her unable to take charge of a situation. Yeah. Especially even like, as I said, the first part of this episode, she's as breezy and confident as we have ever seen her. Mm-hmm. And like, she's often competent, but she's often like, uh, by the book kind of competent. And in the first part of this episode, she's just so like, yeah, casually, yeah confident and capable and then to be like frozen mm-hmm. is a real contrast um uh, so last time i mentioned peter mm-hmm. is not in the show anymore oh i lied <laughs> he's in this episode so apparently i don't know when his last episode is i know that eventually you know no spoilers but like chummy doesn't come back so eventually peter's gonna not come back but he's still here he's still doing things in poplar without chummy I feel like that is spoilers. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Much like Phyllis, you were full of breezy confidence. This is the last time we see him and then immediately (laughs) proven wrong. Like, bang! He he smashes right into your windshield of the TV show. Okay, that's that's Um, much. And we see the, the other little detail that, I mean, because we've seen the whole episode, we can, uh, maybe understand it, Mm -hmm. that... The uh, Antoine boys, whichever one it is, gets hit. Freddy, I think. Lenny. Lenny. Ah. Lenny runs out and gets hit, and then the other two are there. Mm -hmm. And when the police pull up, they say, run! And they run away. Mm -hmm. And we don't at this point. It's such a minor detail. It's not, I think, first time I watched it, it's not even a big enough detail for me to wonder why are they running away. It's just like... uh, but we do know why by the end of the episode Mm -hmm. um, that like we don't have to maintain spoilers. They feel guilty because they were, they weren't where they were supposed to be. Yeah. So when the police come, they run away. Mm -hmm. Anything else about this story at this point? Not. I feel like there's lots to say coming up. We'll say more. Let's go move on to the Mullocks. Oh, maybe. Oh, sorry. One thing. Before all the uh, car accident, the other thing about the Antoine, Antoine's earlier, when the baby is born and they all cheer and the dad is like, "Are we? is it a girl for mom or another boy for us? And the kid is like, I don't care. Can I go play my bugle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just have to mention it because it's one of my favorite moments in the show. And then they come in and he play, they play, sing happy birthday and he plays the bugle in their face. And like, just what every new baby and mother wants, a bugle recital by like an eight-year-old. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I just couldn't pass by without yeah, coming bugle. back to that and how funny it is. So let's yeah. talk about the Mullockses. Yeah, so... This is, 
you know, our chance to see the other thalidomide babies, the ones that, the one other one that we saw was the, I want to say Campbell baby, definitely started with a C, who mm-hmm. died immediately upon, mm-hmm. upon being born, or later on, regardless. That's the only other thalidomide baby we've seen, so to the the people that she meets at this uh artificial limb place some of them are other victims of thalidomide and even like we've talked all along about like kind of the historical reality of mm-hmm. this and that it was there were a lot of babies affected yeah but we can really see in this plot in this story that Rhoda has no idea how many babies there are how mm-hmm. how common it is yeah. and so when they go in and they meet uh the other mother whose name we know later but i can't remember oh, I what it is down. i did write it down but oh lydia we don't know it yet but we meet the other mother uh whose name is lydia and she says oh another member of our club there are other people there are other reasons children come here but one knows the type Mm-hmm. And like, that is for Rhoda and I, th- like maybe for the audience, uh, like there's enough of this, this is common enough that like there's a club and one knows the type. Yeah. For Rhoda, that is like news. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, Bernie is, they go in and Bernie is upset by the, all the other babies uh, by uh, children, really. the other children, they're not all babies. By the other children, he says, uh, he like leaves. Mm-hmm. And later, talking to Dr. Turner, he says, I felt sick when I saw them, and they're better off than Susan is, is what I felt in there, what other people feel when they see her. Yeah. I feel like um, you could easily demonize Bertie and be like, mm-hmm. how come he's not supportive? But these are real like relatable feelings of like I see my daughter and I love her unconditionally because she's my daughter but I see other children I realize how other people might see my kid and I feel you know that guilt of like feeling sick when I see other kids like her like that's a complicated feeling and like and like of course he runs away of course he's like seeking uh uh, refuge at the bottom of a bottle like it's uh i definitely don't think he's like a bad person or even made out to be a bad person no. in the show because he's got these really complicated feelings and good on the show for showing that that it's not just like i've said in the past sometimes it feels like they you know they'll have a baby and everything will be dory because we don't see them again and this is showing that like Hey, he came around, but he's still struggling with feelings, yeah. like we all do. Yeah, and that I think what what this uh, encounter really shows is that he came around as it uh, applies to his own daughter, who he loves because she's his daughter. Mm-hmm. But the reason that he was upset in the first place is still in him, mm-hmm. right? And so he sees other children, and he is reminded of, like, how other people see my child. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oof, it's there's, rough. There's a conversation that Rhoda has with the woman at the artificial limbs 
place. Is it a hospital? Yeah. Well, some kind of hospital-ish Some kind situation. of place. Uh, facility. Facility. Uh, that I am interrupting myself to say that uh, Patrick... Patrick gets a lot of crummy lines in this episode. It's not his fault. But, like, he also is like, This hospital, uh, this war uh, pilot came here. Did you ever see the movie he was in? I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> Some movie... Like, maybe I did see the movie, but, like, I don't care, Patrick. Anyway, that's not the point I was going to make. It was that they have a conversation that, uh, this is the one place where I did look up the script, because the CBC version cut, uh, starts with, like, how many like Susan? But there's just a couple of lines before that I think they shouldn't have cut that are important Mm. in the conversation, where she says, how many are there? And the woman says, patients in our department? And she says, children deformed by these pills hmm. and the woman is like oh no, no, no. she's like how many like susan well there's you know so many hundred missing all four limbs and uh this story develops to the back of the episode but this is continuing like both for rhoda and for bernie the like They've been so focused on their own child. Yeah. That for both of them, this is like realizing that they're not alone. Uh, And for both of them, that is at this point more upsetting than comforting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Let's finish off our recaps here. Phyllis and Sister Winifred give statements to the police about the accident, but Sister Winifred is convinced that the brothers witnessed him run into the street. Rhoda and Bernie argue about Susan. He doesn't want her to struggle, but Rhoda is the one helping her at home. The Antoine boys confess that they were playing on the main street because of bullying, and Phyllis is cleared of charges. She's still struggling, and Tom attempts to bring comfort. Trixie gets her date with Christopher, but when she confronts him, she finds he's divorced with a young daughter, and Trixie runs off. A mom, Vera, goes into labor, and Phyllis hesitates to go, so Sister Monica Joan accompanies her. Helping her deliver brings Phyllis her confidence back. Susan gets arms to the joy of her siblings, and Rhoda is invited to a meeting of other thalidomide parents. Christopher shows up for Trixie, and she forgives him, confessing that she is in AA. Delia finds an obituary for Patsy's father and is upset that Patsy hasn't been in touch about coming home. At the Cubs, the Antoine family brings their new baby for show and tell. And lastly, the parents of the Lidamide children share their stories as mature Jenny narrates about their ongoing fight. So let's finish off the Antoine story. Mm-hmm. The statement uh, in the the police station, we kind of talked about it last time, but like when they're first giving their statements and Mr. Antoine comes in and he says to Phyllis, like, anything you, you did it, anything to do with that sherry you were drinking? Yeah. And like, she pale. <laughs> I did not drink any. And they're like, we have to get a urine test. Mm-hmm. And like, Mr. Antoine, 
I understand him being so upset. I totally do. Yeah. Uh, I don't fault him, but like, I poured you a glass and you accepted it is rough when she didn't accept it. Mm -hmm. What we saw was her not accepting it, was her saying no and him pouring her one anyway. Yeah. Uh, And we don't see, like we talked about, we don't see whether she actually drank any. So we don't know whether, like, did she accept it more heartily when we weren't, she wasn't on camera. Mm -hmm. At the end of this section she her urine test comes back and there's no alcohol at all so like no she didn't but that that's like a rough moment it is yeah and she goes in to uh give a urine sample and that that little shot of her crying in the bathroom oh yeah is like it's heartbreaking great job acting but yes. like so <laughs> Her in shock and her crying in the bathroom, like, she is so, is so rough here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, out the kind of next uh, development is that Sister Winifred says, I think that the boys, that he ran out in the street and the boys saw him. Mm-hmm. And she's right. And it turns out to be true. They were, uh, oh, I also love in this whole exchange, in this whole story, that, like, they were not in the play street where they're supposed to be. Why weren't you in the play street? Because someone was calling us names. And the father says, I've, Mr. Ant says, I told you to just walk away when that happens. And mother's like, they did. That's why they, That's were why the they weren't on the play street. Yeah. I love the complexity yeah, of that. that like, That's exactly what it is. It's the complexity and, like how do you solve this? And you think you're telling your kids the right thing to do. And then it turns out it's the wrong thing. They walked away from being called names, which their father told them to right into the street where their mother told them not to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like in real, like plot, it all resolves pretty neatly. He and, does. Yeah. And handily. He does, yeah, like Lenny does get better. I mean, he has a, he doesn't get better on screen, but he has a broken leg that he's in a wheelchair for, but. Crutches, I think. No, I thought they wheeled him into the. Okay, maybe. meeting. The, just, uh, Tom says that he's going to have a broken, a cast and crutches, which is quite fun for a small boy. Yes, exactly. So maybe he's in a wheelchair today, but he's going to have crutches soon. Mm -hmm. And crutches are fun. uh, If you look, are have the right attitude towards them. <laughs> um, and that like to Mr. Antoine's credit, when uh, Phyllis is cleared, he's like good. She's a good woman. Mm-hmm. Like tell I'm, you know, she, he doesn't hold a grudge. No. Um, and then the like last little bit of her story well, let's just wrap up. The last little bit of the Antoine okay, story yeah. is they get they go to the Cubs and show off their new baby and say why they look the way they do. They're just like, mm-hmm. our mom's from Poplar and our dad's from Jamaica. And that's, you know. And so he's got light brown so, skin like we like do. Like we do, exactly. And that's yeah, a nice that's little wrap nice. up to their story. And uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to continue to be made fun of or whatever, but it might help. Mm-hmm. To humanize them a little more to their peers and show a little cute baby who will hold their finger. <laughs> we have, yeah, if you come close, if you're lucky, he might squeeze your finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cute. Very nice. Um, Phyllis is like, 
but uh, upset. Uh, and even after she is cleared, she wasn't drinking alcohol, and he ran out into the street, she is mm-hmm. still uh, shaken. Of course. And she says, you know, when Tom goes to try to comfort her, she says, like, I'm uh, in my vocation, like your vocation, is to provide care if you'd hurt someone, even accidentally, wouldn't that upset you? Mm-hmm. And he says, you'd have to pray about it. And she says, uh, you, a man of faith, would turn to the Almighty for advice. I, a rational woman, have no one to question but myself. Mm-hmm. Which is quite a line. It is. And last week we talked about Mary Cynthia and how we wanted her to continue seeking God. Um, but I want to say now that I am quite glad that we have an atheist Phyllis on this show. Me too. Yeah. She provides some balance. I, like Mr. Harewood, would turn to the Almighty, though not, maybe not for advice exactly. But I think the show benefits from having someone like Phyllis who has no one to question but herself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And to be, and that she is very blunt and honest about it. She's not pretending to be anything else other than what she is. Yeah. Which I... That's the kind of person I like. Is yeah, don't exactly. Hide and say like, "Oh no, I I believe what you believe," and then secretly you don't. Just be honest. Yeah. So I like her as a character for that, and I like the show for having a character like her on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's still upset, and she's like staying home, taking care of Sister Monica Joan, <laughs> um, like unfurling yarn with sister monica joan who says like i would rather be doing hard i didn't write down the exact line she's like i'd rather be doing hard labor than this <laughs> um and then the phone rings and mm-hmm. uh there's no one else there's to no one else baby. to answer it sister monica joan it says if you do not repair to the telephone i shall find myself obliged to answer it instead and the words nonata's house this is not a midwife speaking are most unlikely to reassure the caller <laughs> i love yeah and she goes out and the place that she has to go is too far so she has to drive yeah were you going to say something? I was just going to say, Sister Monica Joan gets to come with her and help her. Like, she's, she gets to put the little, like, stuff on the bed and then yep. tells her, oh, lie on your side. And Phyllis is like, oh, we don't, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, she's, you know, every once in a while, like, every few seasons, Sister Monica Joan gets to be there for a birth. And it's, it's quite nice. And she's like, she's not doing it she's not helping but she's helping with like the cleanup she's, bits well and she's helping phyllis and she's helping phyllis exactly and she goes out to like when she goes and sees phyllis is standing in front of the car and like won't get into it mm-hmm. and sister monica joan comes out and says like says i perceive that you do not know the the location but I'm familiar with it, so I will accompany you and provide direction. Mm-hmm. And that she, like, not only is she, like, you have to get in the car, you have to start it, you have to drive, someone needs our help. Yep. <laughs> she also, like, gives uh, Phyllis a way of saving face. Yeah, exactly. That, like, I'm just here to give you directions because you don't know the area like I do. Yeah. And speaking of Phyllis's face, the thing that, like, brings her joy is, like, amniotic fluid just, like, spewing <laughs> up in her face when the baby's born. And I'm like, that's super gross. But she laughs because all you can do is laugh. And that is, like, a real thing that kind of breaks her out of it is that, 
you've, you've got to get down and do it, but you've also got to find joy in these things, and she does. Yeah. And the mother that they're helping, Vera, is a single mother. Yeah. She says, I haven't got any courage, like, I haven't got any man worth mentioning, like, I haven't got any clue how I'm going to bring this up, and Phyllis, uh, that the first step of pulling her out of it is like, well, like, let's take this moment. Mm-hmm. What, did, have you had anything to eat? Well, we'll fix that, and then the next things will come. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the idea of face the most immediate thing that's right in front of you and we can do something about that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh i really like this whole phyllis story yeah quite a lot so before we talk about the mullocks let's wrap up trixie and christopher yes so... trixie tells christopher <laughs> i like or trixie is complaining to christopher i like i love also, the like, I thought a many nice walk would be nice. And she's like, I thought a packed sandwich, maybe, because she didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so good. But then he's like, you think I'm seeing someone else? She says, yes. Mm-hmm. And he says, she's as blonde. I am. She's as blonde as you and sweet as you and funny as you. And I adore her. But she's six years old and she's my daughter. And I'm like, Christopher. I think that's, that was a little much. Like, that's not funny. Why would you say it in that way? Just to, like, make her mad or to make her more relieved when it's not? Yeah. Like, come on. I, I do not approve. I think of... he deserves to be run off from. <laughs> exactly. That delivery was no good, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh... But I do like his line about, uh, it's a cliched line, but it's always nice to hear, like, you divorce a woman, you don't divorce your children. Yeah, you I'm divorce... Still... A wife, not a child. Not a child. So, uh, so. She's still my daughter. Yeah. I'm still good. Be here for her. It's a good line and it's a, or it's not a good line in terms of like witty, but it is a good uh, character note. Exactly. It makes him a likable, uh, decent person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also like Trixie in this exchange being in indignant about yeah. Christopher keeping secrets from her and he's like well why don't we go have a drink and talk it over and she's like uh gotta go can't explain why yeah, bye exactly. bye <laughs> like uh oh uh oh maybe I'm keeping a secret that's pretty big from him too she talks to Val yeah about secrets that like his uh it's not the daughter it's not the divorce it's the duplicity that hurts her and mm-hmm. Val says People who have secrets, they're usually afraid. Yeah. Afraid of being laughed at or rejected or punished, persecuted even. Nobody does it for fun, promise you. Mm. So, first of all, what is Val's secret? I know, it makes it sound like she's got something on the... That is, I mean, that is spoken like someone who knows things from the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, But also... I said there was a statement of theme later in the episode, and I think this is it. Yeah. This is not an... I mean, it's kind of an episode about expectations, like the voiceover says, but really, this is an episode about secrets. Mm-hmm. Like, this uh, is the Antoine Antoine boys keeping a secret because they're afraid of being punished. The Trixie keeping her secret mm-hmm. uh, because she's afraid of being laughed at or rejected. And Christopher, too. And it's also... Like, what is going on with the government and thalidomide? Mm. They're keeping yes. the truth of thalidomide a secret because they're afraid of being punished or persecuted. Yes, like, good call. This is, every part of this episode is about 
keeping secrets because you're afraid, mm-hmm. both as individuals and even as, like, institutions. Yeah. And I would say even Bernie is kind of keeping secret his yeah. uh, feelings from Rhoda a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because he's afraid of being rejected or laughed mm-hmm. at. And like. Yep, exactly. Uh, and the, like, he does feel... Like, he accepts and loves his daughter who's his daughter, but he still feels weird about children without arms and legs. Mm-hmm. And, like, he is conflicted about that, and he doesn't want to tell Rhoda that that's how he feels, because he's afraid that she'll reject or punish or persecute him for mm-hmm. it. And like, In fact, I really like the moment where they're fighting in their kitchen, and their other daughter comes in, mm-hmm. and she is, like... And Rhoda's like, you know, go do your homework in the other room kind of thing. And he's like, no, I'm going to help you with your homework. We're doing that now. So, like, it's just showing again that, like, he's a good father. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be a good father. He's just really struggling with having a disabled child as anyone would. The Christopher Trixie plot ends with him coming for Guy Fox tea with the nuns. Yeah. Um, And that was the... uh. When she was first doing the manicure, they were like, you should invite him for tea for Guy Fox." And so then she does. That's mm-hmm. like the payoff of that. She says, he says, I wasn't sure if a summon for Guy Fox tea with the nuns meant I was forgiven or in worse trouble than before. <laughs> exactly. And then, but I was like, I'm like, haha. But then my, his next line is like, okay, I, I, I like Christopher. Is If that sounds flippant, please forgive me. I didn't mean it to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that second line yes. so much. Yeah. Um. And good on Trixie for confessing about AA, mm-hmm. and and good on Christopher for just being like, okay, so we won't drink. That's yeah. fine, you know. He like makes such a small deal about it, mm-hmm. which I, is like great. Yep. Oh, uh, Delia and Patsy, just to touch on yeah. that too. That uh, Patsy's father has died. There's an obituary for him that's you know means he died a couple of weeks ago because you know news in the mm-hmm. 60s doesn't travel as fast as it does now that's for sure but she hasn't heard from patsy and so it's just a big question mark of like is patsy coming home is what's going on poor delia is just stuck there but she and we assumed that like patsy would come right back as soon as she could mm-hmm. and if not only hasn't she come back, she hasn't even talked to Delia. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. Delia's upset and there's not a lot of screen time on it, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh. It's just a highlight of like, what a different world we are in right now where communication can be so instant. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no, <laughs> there's no longing anymore. <laughs> That's for sure. You're like, you didn't text me back within like a minute of me texting you. Come on. I was longing for that one minute. There's no longing anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's a real thought. It is a real thought. Wow. I saw someone say on Twitter that like the world of 2024 is full of loneliness, but no solitude. Oh, so true. And it's the same, like no longing. Oh. It's heartbreaking for for young people in love. Longing is important. I know, it's true. Do you so, want to talk about the Mullockses? The Mullockses. Susan gets some arms, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. But mainly, they meet these other thalidomide parents, and this yeah. meeting with the different parents, showing the pictures of their children, 
And I believe these are real pictures of children from then. Um, So I really wanted to talk about a little bit of the history of thalidomide, Mm -hmm. the scandal and everything. Um, I did a minimal amount of research. I started to do a lot of research. Then I was like, wow, this, this could take me... A long time, so I had to stop myself. But Before you get into sorry, just like, we get a little bit of the story and history right on screen with yeah. Lydia talking to Rhoda and telling her about like German, which I think we mentioned in a previous episode that yes. like when it was uh, uh, first given to mothers and then when the first uh, babies were born in Germany and that like... This has been known for a long time. It has, exactly. I should mention, too, that, like, it was never uh, approved in the United States. It was approved in Canada. So there are thalidomide uh, victims in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the UK, in Germany, a few other places in Europe. But uh, in the US... Uh, the head of the FDA, who was a woman, refused because it hadn't been gone through enough testing and was completely vindicated. Hmm. I did not write her name down, but like, good on her. And she refused to give something to pregnant women that hadn't been tested. And that, yeah, and that, saved like, a lot of people. Yeah. You told me she only retired like pretty recently. I think it was like 2005 or something, but she was 90 when she retired. (laughs) That was the crazy thing. It was like, she worked until she was 90, which like, wow, but also, yeah, no, don't do that. Don't don't work until you're 90. Um, The thing I wanted to mention is the earliest group of parents was called the Thalidomide Society. And that the meeting at the end of this episode really feels like they're saying, you know, this is the first meeting of the Thalidomide Society. Um, mm. In 1968, so that isn't that much long after that, there was a lump sum given to 62 survivors. So that that seems like, you know, this group, small group of parents, you add a few more, so it's only 62 survivors got a payment. Um, in 1973... There, 367 more people were given a lump sum. Uh, And then finally a trust was established. Hmm. And people got annual payments. It wasn't 2004. They decided those annual payments didn't have taxes on them. Hmm. Because they had been taxed before that. Uh, 2005, there was more money from the drug company. And uh, in 2012, the government... Uh, gave thalidomide victims a a health grant for their health needs Hmm. that was only for the next 10 years. So that expired in 2022. In 2022, or no, in 2023, the health grant was finally extended to life. Hmm. Wow. And so, like, this is recent. Like, this is last year. This is still a part of it. Like, these people, the thalidomide survivors, are in their 50s and 60s. Yeah. And... And also, there aren't any more. Like, this drug was taken off the market, and there aren't... And so, like, in terms of the government doing a payout, it completely makes sense for the government to do a payout. You're not going to just continue forever. These are the only people. Right. There's just a little over 400 in the UK. I didn't see how many were in 
other places, but it's a little over 400 people hmm. who are now getting a health grant that was extended finally to their entire lives. So like it was bits and pieces and like it was not in the news. It was, you know, I, th- I feel like uh, from what I saw, the kind of 2004, 2005 is when things started to like come out about it a little more in the media. Well, this episode ends with the voiceover saying the fight is ongoing. Yeah, and, and like, so when this episode came out, it was. Yeah. And it, I mean, and it's still, because, yeah, lump sums and uh, health grants are still not probably enough. It I don't know the details, but. sometimes like uh, this show is set in the 60s. It can sometimes feel like it's set in even more distant past mm-hmm. because it's set in a, po- a poor 60s and it's also set in the 60s in a different country from where I live. Um, so, like, the insight, the, like, realization that Susan Mullocks would be in her 50s. Yeah, exactly. Like, this isn't ancient history. Mm-hmm. That, like... She's younger than my parents. Yeah. That that was quite a realization that, like, this is so recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Thalidomide Support Group is one of my favorite parts of the episode. Me too, me too. I really like it. I don't like it, but I do like it. There's a little moment, like we were talking about Bernie being like, is he a bad person and father? There's like, uh, not like other, there's, I feel like the uh, show giving him credit mm-hmm. <laughs> for like, one of the other brothers says her father's never even been to visit. Mm-hmm. And he looks like upset yeah, by that. Exactly. And then he's the one that talks about Susan mm-hmm. and the way he uh, talks about her and describes her and, the, uh, and his uh, conclusion about her is she deserved better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. I really found that whole scene very moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of maybe a whole episode perspective, too, I also like the little minor connection of Susan and the Antoines mm. because they are running away because they're called names, presumably racist ones, and the Mullockses are afraid and worried for Susan because she'll be called names, mm-hmm. presumably ableist ones. It's not a big thematic scene, but we just see two families with completely different problems, but also with the exact same problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just like how that is treated in this episode. Yeah, uh, absolutely. With a bit of a thematic light touch, mm-hmm. I think, uh, appropriately. Any other things to say or or any other thoughts? No, let's talk about our favorite parts. What was yours? My favorite part was Sister Monica Joan taking care of Phyllis. Yeah. Both the like, you know, it was funny, but also I found it very sweet. Mm-hmm. Her like coming and, and going with her and then being there for the birth, but just even walking her to the car and telling her you have to like, uh, a mother needs you mm-hmm. you have to drive you have to drive i really liked that mm-hmm. what was your favorite part 
I think the ending, I think that's the parents of the yeah. thalidomide children coming together and sharing their stories. I cried. It really touched me. Yeah. Um, it really like, it can feel very lonely if your child has a disability mm-hmm. and it can also feel like with thalidomide specifically, you know, it was a drug that a woman took. Yeah. And so there can be so much guilt associated with that. So to have a group of parents come together and be able to talk to each other and be like, you know, someone told me they were going to flush it down the toilet if they had gotten it, but they wouldn't have because we wouldn't have. And like to give it to, to give each other a break is such a really important thing. Just mutual support is a beautiful thing to see. And so that just, yeah, totally made me cry at the end of this episode to see Rhoda get, the support she needs, not just from our characters, but from other people like her who made the same choices as she did with these devastating consequences that yeah. she could have, that none of them ever could, could have foreseen. possibly have guessed. It's absolutely impossible for them to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I said a favorite part, but obviously that also was so, such a good part of this episode. Mm-hmm. If you want to tell us your favorite part of this episode, uh, or uh, tell us other things, you can. <laughs> How would you do that, Paul? You can find us on Twitter, x Twitter, at uh, Poplar Opinion. You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on our Discord server, which there will be a link in the show notes to this show. And if you like this show that we make and you would like us to keep making it and you would like to support us in making it, we would be extremely happy and grateful if you support us on patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Thank you so very, very much for joining us this week. I have been Paul Moffat. And I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. (laughs) 